Armstrong just confirmed his Tour de France win. The word became entirely appropriate. He was a miracle man. Armstrong wins the time trial and wins the Tour de France. There were people, family members of people diagnosed, or, or survivors, or people being treated, uh, that were going to see that and say, that guy's one of us. Live strong, lie long, perhaps. Some are calling it the greatest deception in sports history. One of America's most revered athletes, a cancer survivor and crusader, Armstrong will now be banned from cycling for life and stripped of his Tour de France titles. Armstrong admitted to doping in a no-holds-barred interview with Oprah on Monday. I think this just ruthless desire to win, win at all costs, truly. That serves me well on the bike, served me well um, during the disease, but uh, the level that it went to for whatever reason is, is, a, is a flaw. All right. Well, welcome again to Waters Church. We're going to get into our second part of this series, Epic Fail, looking at the failures of culture and the failures of Scripture and trying to draw some conclusions. I said last week that it is much better to learn from the failures of others than to have to fail yourself. And that's what this series is for, and there is no shortage in the Bible of material from which we can draw failures in the scriptures and then apply it to our lives. And in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things were written for us. They were recorded so that we could learn not to do what they did. Sometimes the Bible is just real simple to read. Sometimes it's just easy. It's just, hey, look what happened when they did that. Don't you go doing that. And so that's what this series is all about. And today we're going to look at Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong was a miracle man. He had this great story coming back from cancer to win and not just, not just compete, but to win the Tour de France and not just to win once, twice, three times. How many times did he win? Seven? Was it seven? Does anybody know? Seven, seven times. I didn't know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> There's a lot of feedback up here. I don't know if you guys are hearing that, but that does not sound good. Seven times this guy takes the title. And all along the way, there's these questions, there's these doubts, there's these people saying he's doping, he's doping. The whole time he's saying, nope, 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 nope. He's keeping it a secret. He's lying. And then 2012 comes around and we find out he was doing it. We, we have this idol of sport in America, do we not? Like we... <laughs> We are something in this country because we'll take something as silly as taking a ball, throwing it, and hitting it with a bat, and we'll find people who are really, really good at that, and we will pack stadiums to watch them do it. You ever think about how weird it is? Like if aliens ever came to the world, they'd be like, they gather in these huge saucer-looking stadiums, and they worship people hitting balls with bats. This is going to be no problem to take over this planet, you know. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. And we, we have this idolatry. It really, it, it becomes more than just fandom. And it becomes more than just recreation and enjoyment. It becomes idolatry. And you know it's idolatry when your heart 
rises and falls with the wins and the losses of your favorite team. Nothing wrong with being a fan, nothing wrong with enjoying watching this sport, but come on. At some point, you gotta, you gotta check yourself because you can get too involved in this. And, and the reason why it's detrimental is because at the end of the day, these guys, these superheroes of sport, these stars of the ball court or the basketball court or the baseball diamond or the football field, at the end of the day, they are just humans. We forget that, don't we? Like we don't expect them to be flawed. We almost get super shocked when the, the story comes out and we realize, oh my gosh, they're just like us. <laughs> they're, they got just as many hangups, just as many faults, just as many problems. And that's exactly what Lance Armstrong was. He was an idol. And he was just torn down really fast. And the secret came out and um, people were devastated. Millions of people who were supportive of his cancer causes, um, Livestrong Foundation, and, now, and the story is still going on. And, 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 in, the end, and in the end, we, we realize that this personal obsession to win at all costs was masked with a secret to his great strength. And today we're going to look at somebody who had another secret to his great strength. And his name was Samson. You gotta give me it for that one. Come on, that's a great tie-in, huh? Come on, I, I worked all week long on that tie-in. Secret to great strength, Lance Armstrong. Secret to great strength, Samson. <laughs> and pretty much that's the end of the correlation between the two. So we're gonna look at Samson, Judges chapter 13. And this is gonna be like the Cliff Notes version of Samson's life. Because if there is an epic fail in scripture, man, this guy is like the poster child of epic fails because uh, the more you read a story, the more crazier it gets. Uh, let's just read first his birth. This is the story of his birth. Samson, uh, Samson's story begins in Judges chapter 13. So if you don't know your Bible, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then it is Joshua Judges Ruth. Joshua Judges Ruth. I have no idea why Joshua judged Ruth, but he did. So Joshua judges, and so Judges chapter 13, here's what it says. And the people of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and she could have no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. So this is going to be a miracle child. She's barren and God is going to miraculously provide her with a son. The son's going to be Samson. Verse 4, some instructions for the son. Here we go. Therefore, be careful to drink no wine. Somebody say no wine. Or strong drink. Somebody say no vodka either. <laughs> and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. So no haircuts either. And the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel. This is his job. He shall begin to save Israel. What's Samson's mission? Save Israel from the hand of the Philistine. And the story goes on. And we'll pick it up in just a moment. This is the story of a man who was miraculously conceived. 
And the angel tells his mother, he's got to be a Nazarite from birth. Well, what does that mean? What is, what is Nazarite? Uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, we find out what the Nazarite vow was all about. There was a special vow that an Israelites could take if they wanted to separate themselves or consecrate themselves to God for a special season of time. And that vow consisted of three main obligations. The Nazarite vow was you don't cut your hair, you don't drink alcohol, and you have no contact with dead bodies. Now, I don't, I don't know why those are the three, but those are the three. And so this guy, Samson, Samson is called to be a Nazarite from birth. So from birth, no cutting hair, no alcohol, no contact with dead bodies. Now, the Sunday school version of the Samson story goes like this. You've heard it, maybe. I've heard it. The Sunday school version goes like this. Samson was a great man, a mighty deliverer, a powerful man of God who had a problem with a woman named? Yeah, you've heard the Sunday school version. Like Samson was good, then Delilah, then disaster. Okay. The, the Bible actually gives us a much better story than that. It's actually far more. <laughs> then Samson strong and Delilah tears him down. The real true Hollywood story of Samson would begin with a man who has a ton of flaws, just like Lance Armstrong, just like you, just like me. And he can't control himself. As, on, on the one hand, he's incredibly strong. And on the other hand, he's weak towards the wrong kind of woman. Not just women the wrong kind of woman. And on the one hand, he's got these incredible gifts and talents and, and this, this cunning mind of, of how to wage war. And on the other hand, he's just stupid. <laughs> in so many areas, we'll find out in just a moment how dumb he got. On, on the one hand, he's chosen and separated to God. He's God's chosen instrument to fight and lead Israel, right? That's his call. And on the other hand, his whole life is filled with one personal vendetta after another. He never, this is the saddest part about Samson's life. He's called to lead Israel, and at the end of, at the end of his life, he led no one. No one. Samson was all about Samson. And he failed. And he's kind of like Lance Armstrong because he does these incredible things. He kills a lion with his bare hands. That's pretty cool. He uh, kills another 30 men in, in, a, in a wager. He kills 30 men. They're Philistines. And he uses their, he kills them so he can pay back his debts. And, and, and that's another story. So he's got a gambling problem. <laughs> and, and then he um, takes the jawbone of a donkey, the jawbone of an ass, if you read the King James Version. <laughs> and he slays with the jawbone of a donkey a thousand men. Okay, homeboy's got a jawbone of a donkey. <laughs> and you're in the army right? Fighting against him. And let's just say you're guy number 723. Like, don't you at this point say, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right? How do, you, 
How do you beat guy number 1,000 and be like, I know 999 were killed by the jawbone, but I got good feeling about me. This guy had the super, he is the original Superman. He's the original Spider-Man. He's the original Aquaman, all in one. And he fights and he wins and he fights and he wins. But the, but the Bible's clear. The Bible does not pull any punches. The Bible gives us the, the full expose on all of, his de- of all his deal. And here's what we find out about Samson is that Samson is an incredibly strong, gifted, called man of God who has got some incredible flaws. So point number one, if you're taking notes, here's, here's point number one. God loves flawed people. God loves flawed people. Any flawed people in the house? Amen. If you didn't say amen, you're a liar. That makes you flawed. Um, <laughs> right, right from the beginning, Samson makes bad choices. Let's go to Judges chapter 14. Here's what it says. Samson, Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. Timnah's in the land of the Philistines. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his mother and father, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Okay, first off, he doesn't know how to find a bride. He sends his mom and dad to do it. Uh, That's also a problem. Verse three, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our own people that she must go down and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And listen to Samson. But Samson said to his father, and just check this out, dads, if your son talks to you like this, um, beat him upside the head. Uh, He says, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. Now, now, now the Bible has certain uh, stipulations for the Israelites. They weren't supposed to marry Philistine women. They weren't supposed to marry any foreign women because they were supposed to be holy and separated to God. And these women weren't. And so it was like, God was like, no, don't marry them. You're going to be my people. And, and so there's a commandment about that. And, and Samson's willing to break that commandment. And then there's this commandment. I don't know if you've heard of this commandment. Uh, This one, we're really struggling with this in America today. Commandment number four of the Big Ten. Commandment number four, anybody know what it is? Honor your father and your mother. In other words, when your mom and dad say no, say okay. When, When your mom and dad give you advice, listen. And Samson's got no problem breaking that one too. So right off the bat, we see a guy who's just filled with flaws. And, 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 and yet he's chosen, and yet he's set apart, and yet he's used mightily by God. God gives him strength, God gives him victory, God gives him a cunning sense of, of military tactics, and, and victory after victory after victory after victory. He's flawed, and yet he's loved by God. And that's kind of our story. God loves us even though we're flawed. That's good news, right? God loves flawed people. And and I don't know why, but he does. And it's a good thing he does because we all are flawed. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus is the holiest man that has ever walked on the face of the earth. The reason why he's so holy is because he was also God. And he doesn't hang with the holy people. He hangs with the sinning people. He doesn't love the people. He doesn't love, spend most of his time with the people who got it together. He actually spends the lion's share of his time with the people who have nothing together. But a great verse in chapter 15 of, of Luke's gospel. Chapter 15, uh, there's a great story in chapter 15 of Luke. It's called the prodigal son. But the reason why Jesus tells that story is because he was sitting with a bunch of older brothers 
in the story of the prodigal son. It says in Luke chapter 15, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So who loved Jesus? Who loved Jesus' teaching? Tax collectors and notorious sinners. Not just your average ordinary sinner. (laughs) The people we know got problems. They were the ones that loved being around Jesus. And they were the ones that Jesus loved being around. This is who Jesus is. This is who our God is. God loves flawed people. That's good news. That's real good news. So um, God loves Samson in spite of all his flaws. Now, something happens in uh, Judges chapter 14. If you were reading ahead after verse three, something, the Bible gives us a little detail about this whole wife being a Philistine thing. And if you read it, here's what it says. Very confusing, very, very weird to hear it, but here's what it says. His mother and father did not know that it was from the Lord. What was from the Lord? That his desire for this Philistine woman was from the Lord. And here's what it says. For he, God, God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So here's God using the flaws of Samson to kind of pick a fight with the Philistines. So point number two, if you're taking notes, not only does God love flawed people, but this is a good point. Number two, God uses flawed people. God doesn't just love them. God's going to use them. Now, how does God use the flaws of Samson in spite of his flaws? How does he use him to do this, this deliverance thing? You got to know the context of the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a dark book. If you've read the Bible at all, you know that Joshua, great book. Judges, not so much. Joshua has died, and the people of Israel keep doing this cycle with God. It's like a cycle many Christians have with God. Here's what happens. They rebel against God. They do their own thing. God says, okay, fine, you want to do your own thing. He gives them up to captivity to all these other foreign nations. They repent. They cry out, God, help us go. We really blowed it this time. God says, okay, no problem. And he raises up a deliverer. And then they get delivered And they start to feel good about themselves again. And they go all the way back over to the first part of the cycle. And they start rebelling again. Some of you are like, hey, that's, that's my life. That sounds like me. Okay, that's the cycle of judges. Rebellion, d- uh, uh, captivity, d- uh, crying out to God, deliverance, rebellion again. Now something's happened by the time Samson comes around. It's a very curious thing. You actually got to know the whole book of Judges to see it. But in Judges chapter 13, we find out something is up with the, Phil- with the Israelites by the time Samson comes on the scene. Here's what it says. The, Phil- the people of Israel, verse, verse 1 of chapter 13, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so here they are, the first part of the cycle. Okay, the cycle is evil, then oppression. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. There's the oppression. But there's something strangely missing from the cycle. They never cry out to God. The Philistines enslave them, and the, and the Israelites are like, it's all right. Isn't that crazy? They actually kind of got used to it. They kind of got okay with their captivity. You know, it's a phenomenon that can happen to people. There are people who will see something destroying their lives. 
and they'll be okay with it. They'll be in an addiction, they'll be in a relationship, they'll be in something that they know is wrong. And they know it's wrong. But it's almost become a comfortable place. There's a phrase in our culture, they call it comfortably numb. That's what's happened to Samson. He's become, not Samson, Israel. He's become comfortably numb to their sin. And God, and here's the thing about the Philistines. The Philistines were not like the other nations. The other nations liked to just wipe you out. The Philistines were different. The Philistines would absorb you. They would uh, give you their culture and their culture would get inside of the, the other nations and the other nations would start to like the Philistines and the Philistines would just say, okay, hey, now you're one of us. And so the Philistines weren't out to destroy Israel. They were just out to absorb them into their culture. And God can't let this happen. Do you know why? Because Israel are his people. And this is the reality for Israel. Through Israel, Jesus is going to come. And God can't let Israel be wiped off the face of the earth. God can't let Israel get absorbed by another nation because Jesus will never come if Israel is not around. So God, because Israel is not interested in rebelling against the Philistines or, or crying out to God, God says, okay, I'll take care of it for you. I'm going to give you a Samson. And Samson loves the Philistine women. And because he loves the Philistine women, he gets into all these fights with a bunch of Philistines. And he goes to this party with some Philistines. It's actually his wedding party. And he has a party with 30 Philistine men. Now, another thing is that the Philistines were known for their alcohol and beer consumption. Actually, I found out this week that archaeology tells us that Philist the Philistines were one of the first brewers of beer. Okay? So, that, like, if, if you trace Sam Adams' background, he probably was a Philistine. Um, <laughs> And they, they were all about alcohol. So here's Samson going to the Philistines, marrying their women and partying with their men. And by the way, where did he do it? If you read in chapter 14, you find out he went to the vineyards of Timnah. You don't go to vineyards in the ancient world without one expressed intent. This guy is drinking wine. He's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to touch it. And yet God is using him. Why? God uses flawed people. He rips that lion in half and he goes back home and on the way back home after ripping the lion in half, he sees it again on the road and the lion's carcass is dried and there's, bugs, uh, there's bees in it with honey. And Samson goes to the carcass of the lion and he reaches in and he scrapes out some honey and he eats it. Now, the second requirement of the Nazarite vow was that you shouldn't be touching dead bodies. Why is he putting his hand into the dead body of a lion? This guy's got some serious flaws. God uses flawed people. And this, this is infuriating to a lot of non-Christians. Isn't it? It's like, like this is the biggest problem that some of you who are not Christians have with, with, with Christianity because you've seen the hypocrisy. You've seen how we can say one thing on Sunday and do something totally different on Monday. 
You, you, you've got friends who are like this. You've got relatives who are like this. You've got people who will not step foot in a church. Why? Because of the priest scandals in the 1990s or the televangelist scandals or, or the guy who gets on the television and says, send me $1,000 and God will bless you. And meanwhile, he's running around the country in a jet. And it's just like, this is why I want nothing to do with Christianity at all in some people's minds. And the reality is, it's just a fact that God sees our flaws, loves us anyway, and still uses us. This, this might come as a shock to some of you. Be prepared. I, your pastor, am flawed. <laughs> I got, I got, I, why are you clapping? Is that a clap of agreement? It's like, yes, I know. Thank you. He finally admitted it. <laughs> you get the good me, okay? You get the guy who has to preach the word of God, me, and Cheryl gets the real me. And I just think you need to know that. And it's good. This is healing. Confession is good for the soul. Because we, 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 we don't just do this with sports stars. We do this with church stars. And we set the man up on the stage. Oh, he's, he's a holy man. He's a man of God. And as much as that might pump my ego, I know it's not true. There was a, a, a time I was the youth pastor in Norwood, and I would preach every once in a while in Norwood. And, um, and, and there was a sweetheart lady. And she was from uh, Haiti, and she was a wonderful woman of God, and, and she used to come and give me such great encouragement. And soon after I got married, th this funny interchange happened between this lady and Cheryl. It's hysterical. And she just came up to Cheryl right after I preached, and she turned to Cheryl and she said, Oh, you must be on your knees thanking God every day that you are married to this man. <laughs> now, I perceived that she had the gift of prophecy. <laughs> but Cheryl perceived something different. And I can't say it from the stage, but that's, she has the real me and I am seriously flawed and there are things that God is still working on in me and it's like, it's never ending and it's like, it's just as soon as something's done, being worked on, it's like, there's another thing. Right? And this is your story, and this is my story, and this is the story of every Christian that ever walked on the earth. This is the story of Peter. This is the story of Paul. This is the story of John. They, they, these guys, at one point, John and James, they wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume a village because they didn't want to welcome the disciples. Okay, they had an anger problem. You want to destroy an entire village because they aren't hospitable to you, you got an anger problem. And, and this is the story of Christianity because here's what Christianity is based on. Christianity is not based on merit. Christianity is based on grace. Amen. And God comes and he says, I'm going to be gracious to you. I know you don't deserve it. I know you have not earned it. I, I know that uh, your friends look at you and say, nah but I'm going to show off how good I can be by picking one of the worst of humanity and using them for my glory. God uses 
people who are filled with flaws. Um, This is why our church says, come as you are. Come as you are. You do not have to act Christian. In fact, you don't even have to act good. (laughs) Some of you need to hear this. God is not in love with the future version of you. He's in love with you now. And he takes you as you are. Just like me, just like Samson. Here's what Paul says. Paul's talking to the Colossians. And he's telling them in chapter three, he says, look, stop lying. These are are letters written to Christians, by the way. Most of the letters in the New Testament written to Christians, remember that. He says, hey, stop lying. He says, stop swearing. Stop cussing. And then he says, and this is why you need to stop doing these things. Verse 12 of Colossians 3, he says, since God shows you to be holy people, he loves. You must clothe yourself with gentleness, with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, and patience. Uh, It's so strange. He goes from one verse, he's saying, stop lying, cussing, and swearing at each other. And then the next verse, because you're holy. Isn't that kind of backwards? Like we think as soon as I stop, lying, cussing, and swearing, then I will be holy. That's not the scriptures. That's not the gospel. The gospel says through faith in Christ, you are made holy, finished, done. When God sees you, he sees the the holiness of Christ, period, end of story. And then our life is not trying to live up to it to gain his acceptance, but our life is based on knowing we have already been accepted. And so now we are living up to it because we know how he sees us. It flips the script on American life, doesn't it? Because we're raised as Americans to think you got to try hard to get somewhere in life. You got to study to be accepted into that college. If you're in a college program, you got to study hard to get accepted into that job. And if you're in that job, you got to work hard to get accepted into that promotion. And, and, and let me just say something. It's very clear, very simple statement. God is not America. He, he doesn't orchestrate his kingdom the way Americans orchestrate their system. God says, I'm going to accept you by my grace and shower my holiness on you by by unmerited favor when you don't deserve it. And I'm going to remind you every single day that the things that you do that are disobedient to me are not appropriate because you are now my child. This is the story of Samson. And this is the story of all of us. Point number three. God loves flawed people, God uses flawed people, but God fixes flawed people. Okay, so we're not gonna leave it there at, hey, we're all flawed, it's cool. Right, we're not, we're not gonna stop the message here and have an altar call, raise your hand, okay, amen, praise God, let's go. That's not what we're doing. We're gonna talk about the fact that God loves you just as you are, but because he loves you, he refuses to leave you the way that you are. He, he wants change. Now, there, there's something that I realized about, about Samson. It takes three chapters. Actually, four if you count his birth. But let's talk about the, first, the three chapters where he's actually walking around and doing stuff. It takes three chapters for the, the, um, 
the life that Samson built up for himself to come crashing down. Three chapters. He sleeps with three different women, probably more because he parties too. But we know of three. One of them's a prostitute, and, and then Delilah, okay? So he has the first wife, he has the prostitute, and then he has Delilah. And it takes three chapters for God to finally say, okay, enough. You, you know what it tells me? Like last week we talked about David. Remember David sleeps with Bathsheba? The very next chapter, Nathan comes and says, hey, you are doing wrong and God's gonna judge you. And the very next chapter, all hell breaks loose in his life. It's like David had no time to fool around. It's like David did wrong and God judged him immediately. Samson does wrong for three straight chapters and God just lets it happen for three straight chapters. Let, let me tell you what it's saying to me. There is no cookie cutter format for how God deals with us. Like some of you are getting away with stuff and you're like, must be cool with God. And it's like, no, it's not cool with God. And then some of you, you're seeing other people get away with it and you're like, I am so sick of watching them get away with that. And I just wanna ask you, do you wanna go back to doing it again? Or are you really in love with Jesus? So th this is the reality of our discipleship. This is the reality of how God deals with us. He deals with us as individuals, and this is good. Like Samson, I see it like this. Samson's like the baby of the family. Like David's like the firstborn, and Samson's the baby. How many parents know, you firstborn, you were, like, you were like drill sergeant Charlie on that kid. You, you know? You touched my spoon, spank, 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 spank. You know, just could, could not do anything right. The baby comes along. Kids like lighting the carpet on fire and you're like, oh, get the camera. This is cute, this is cute. I mean, that's how I see it, right? But here's the reality. This is what we have to understand that God is fixing us and he doesn't like slot us in along the assembly line of sanctification, but he does it according to his purpose, his plan, his timing, and in his way that's gonna be most appropriate for you. So Samson messes around for three chapters, and eventually God starts to let things fall apart. And here's what happens. It says in verse four of chapter 16, after this, and, and by the way, after this means that he slept with a prostitute, the Philistines come to capture him, and he gets up in the middle of the night and he picks up the gates of the city and he pulls them up 40 miles down the road, and again, the Philistines are like baffled by this guy's strength. And so again, God lets him get away with this stuff, but, but here's, here's what happens, verse four, Chapter 16, after this, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Okay, now here she is, finally. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. All you need to know about that amount is that it was exorbitant. It was huge. This is like millions of dollars that they're offering this girl. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, that one could subdue you. Okay, now, I said God comes to us differently and deals with us differently. Sometimes God is compassionate father to you. And then sometimes God is disciplinarian father. 
And then sometimes God is army sergeant, kick you in the butt, Father. (laughs) And then sometimes God does this thing. It's like he becomes an alarm clock. And he starts to go off. He starts to say, beep, 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 beep. Time to wake up. You're sleeping spiritually. You had better open your eyes. And what we do is we press the snooze button. And God lets that happen. And then it goes, beep, 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 snooze. Beep, 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 snooze. But if you don't wake up at some point, you're not going to have a job. Right? This is what happens with Delilah and Samson. This is crazy. I mean, you read the story, you're like, are you serious? Samson, are you serious? She goes to him and she says, I I need you to tell me the secret of your great strength. Now, first off, she's a Philistine woman. Why is she worrying about that? But he's like, okay, I'll play the game. And he tells her a lie. He goes to sleep. She does it. He wakes up. He busts free. She says, oh, Samson, you don't even love me. She does the whole crying woman thing. You know how that is. And, 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 (laughs) And she says, okay, fine. Here's... Here's the deal. And, and he tells her another lie. And she does it. And she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks free and he you know, goes out to fight again. And she's like, oh, you don't even love me. She, she just whines and cries and all that thing. And then he says, okay. And he tells her a third lie. One, two, three. He's just pressing the snooze button here. And she does the third thing. And he busts loose again. And the Bible says that she pressed him hard every day. (laughs) I'm sorry, ladies, but there's not a man alive who can't understand what he's going through. (laughs) And uh, he finally opens up, and he tells her the secret of his great strength. Now, before we get to that point, I got to tell you something. Here's what we learn about God from the life of Samson. We learn Not only does God love flawed people, God uses flawed people, God fixes flawed people, but number four, if you're taking notes, God is extremely patient with flawed people. In fact, you could say he's patient to a fault, but he's God, so you can't say it. (laughs) I mean, this is ridiculous. Three different women. And the third one, you're telling her three different lies, and she's doing all three. It's like, Samson, stop pressing snooze. God is going off on this area right here. You got a weakness with women, with intimacy. You got to stop it. It's going to take you down. And he's like, I don't see it. And that's how some of us are right now. That's where you are right now. God is like, Beep, 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 your pride. Beep, 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 your gossiping. Beep, beep, your relationships, your attractions to the wrong people. You gotta stop this. And we just keep pressing snooze and keep pressing snooze. And it's like, God is so patient. God is so patient, it's crazy. And here's what the Bible says. Here's why he's patient. Romans chapter two, verse four. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's what it's there for. To get you to turn away from sin. And the Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness. But God is being patient with you, 
He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Do you know why God is patient? Because he wants you to change. He wants you to change. He wants you to fess up. He wants you to come clean. He wants you to start doing things that are going to be better for you spiritually. Like some of you here at Pastor say, don't do this. It's not right for you. And you're like, I don't like to hear that. I'm not doing that. I'll find somebody else who won't challenge me in that area. And we have this idea that we can just go wherever we want and not listen to accountability, not have any accountability, not listen to authority and do whatever we want and we're fine. And what we're really doing is we're pressing the, our own snooze button on an alarm that's trying to wake us up from spiritual slumber that will cost us everything. God is patient. Now, he's patient so that you change. Make no mistake, Christianity is based on grace, but Christianity is all about life change. And if you're not changing, watch out. And I say that in love because the last thing that God does with flawed people, number five, God humbles flawed people. God humbles us. He tells Delilah the story of his birth. He tells her everything. The Bible says he opened up all his heart to her. She gets on the phone or whatever they used back then, and she says to her family, he told me everything. Come tonight. And he goes to sleep on her lap with the Philistines in the back, and, and I just think, I think it's crazy that um, Samson lies down on her lap. And it's just like, he takes a nap. That's it. Some of you need to hear this. The, the thing that's going to destroy your, your future is not a major thing. Like, the lion's share of us tonight is probably not going to be heroin that takes us down. It's probably not going to be huge adultery mess that goes throughout the town. It's probably not going to be some kind of like David Bathsheba thing. For some of you, it might just be you're just sleeping and you're playing around with the wrong person, the wrong relationship. Small thing. Small thing. And he goes to sleep on her, nap, on her lap. And she said, after she cuts his hair, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that's a hard verse, isn't it? I thought God never leaves us. I thought God's with us all the time. No, God is with us, but he will withdraw from us. He's like a parent who says, okay, you want to do it your way? Fine. Go. Just go. And that's where some of you are. You're just going, distancing yourself from God. And God is saying, okay, fine. That's fine. You're you're my child, but I can't make you follow me. And our flaws come back to haunt us, and God allows us to be humbled. And it's not an easy topic, right? This is like not an easy way to end the message, but it's so true. It's not like we get excited about this. We don't, we don't testify about God's humbling process, do we? I see a lot of people go through that pool, go through that pool and get baptized, and not a single one of them have ever said, I'm just really excited about what God's been doing in my life because he's like totally humbling me right now. 
We always like those victorious things. We like those stories of redemption, those stories of the comeback kid. But let me, let me just throw something out there. Equally as valid, equally as necessary, equally as good for us are the seasons in which God says, enough. And in his grace and his compassion, he lays us out. And it's hard to hear, but it's so true. Because he humbles Samson. And, and, and then, verse 22, but the hair on his head. Uh, first off, they bind him. They, they, they put him in prison. He's grinding in the mill. And then verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. I thought about this verse. Because this verse is reminding Samson who he is. Uh, he can't see it because they gouged out his eyes. So at some point, he's grinding the grain in the middle of the Philistines, and he reaches up on his head, and he feels stubble. And it comes back to him. I'm not supposed to be here. This is not what I was made for. This is not what I was born for. I have a calling on my life. That's where some of you are. In fact, I would guess that there's a boatload of people here. You're here tonight because you felt the hair coming back on your head and you were reminded that you do not belong where you were. And your story is that God, through all your pain and all your arrogance and all your pride, God never gave up on you and you came back to God and now you're happy because of the grace of God was not without effect and you have been redeemed again. That's your story. And here's what I would love to do as a pastor. And we can't do it, but I would love to do it. I would love to do this. I'd love to get all the drifters, right? All the drifters in the room right now. I'd love to get all the people who are like checking out on God and doing life their own way. And then all the people who are coming back and have gone all through that mess and are coming back now. And I'd love to get those two groups of people in the same room. And let the people who have come back just talk to the drifters for like three hours. And just let someone, here, here's my credit card bill. You want to see that? That's what that cost me. Here's my kids. I can't see them except on the weekends. Here, here they are. I love them like I, I, I would die for them, but I can't see them. I drifted. Here, here's what my, I lost this job. I did that. I was, in, I was in prison. I went to this rehab. I had to go through that. This, the other thing. I would just love if we could just do that because we would save so many drifters. But some of you are going to have to learn the hard way and I feel so bad for it. But if you could just listen to me one more moment. Learn from Samson. Why not just say, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done doing it my way. I don't care how good it feels. Care how right I feel like I am. I need to do it God's way. I want to put all five points up on the screen. God loves flawed people. God uses flawed people. God fixes flawed people. God is patient with flawed people. God humbles flawed people to save them. Let me ask you a question in closing. Where are you on that list? Where are you? Would you bow your heads?